Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And the text is also there in the bulletin. Um, So all kinds of people pray, uh, whether they're church-going folks or not, right? All kinds of people pray. It's something of a universal uh, human instinct. You'll find it in pretty much every culture, anywhere in the world. But unless we receive prayer as a gift from Jesus, uh, unless we pray with him and learn prayer from him, then we really don't know what we're doing when we pray. Uh, We can know better because of what Jesus teaches us. Uh, Luke says that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and he did. He taught them this prayer. Uh, So that's, you know, in Luke's version of this prayer, uh, he has the disciples asking, so he, he taught them taught them this prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer, probably delighted Jesus to teach them this prayer. Jesus came into the world for the very purpose of sharing his life with God, with us, uh, with his people, and opening up his own prayer life to us is a big part of that. So he gives us the gift of relating to God, even as he relates to God, he gives us the gift of praying to his Father together with him. That's what we'll talk about this morning. This is good news that Jesus teaches us to pray. So let's talk about that. Let's, uh, <clears throat> let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, thank you for everything that you have made known to us through Jesus. Thank you for these words that we're about to hear. We pray that you'd help us to receive them as the wonderful gift that they are and to be changed by this gracious gift in our relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. So I'm actually backing up to the beginning of this chapter. He says in verse 1, Beware of practicing, or literally doing, beware of doing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 5, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So we're in this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he's talking about some basic biblical righteous practices, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Uh, we looked at the first of those last week, almsgiving, right? Uh, these are things that God's people are supposed to do in secret. That's the language Jesus uses of each of them. Uh, they're to be done in secret so that our Father who sees in secret will reward us. So as we considered last week, talking about almsgiving, uh, charitable generosity to the poor and the needy. That, uh, that's to be done in secret. But in secret doesn't exactly mean that your life of faith is meant to be kept private. That nobody can know about it, 
right? Uh, that if someone were to see you doing these things, giving charitably to the poor, then, uh, then it would somehow invalidate these things, right? Uh, so Jesus lived out his faith publicly, and he calls us to do the same thing, actually, earlier in the same sermon in chapter 5 or 16, to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. So giving in secret, or here praying in secret, doesn't require strict anonymity. Uh, it's not really about anonymity. It's, uh, it's about the motives behind our, our giving or our prayer. Right? It's about the reward. What we consider to be the reward. <clears throat> Jesus says there in verse 1, Don't do your righteousness in order to be seen by others. Right? to impress them, to win their esteem or their approval or their praise. In fact, he says, don't even do your righteousness to notice yourself, right? Uh, so that you can judge yourself favorably, to think well of yourself, feel good about yourself. Don't be concerned with what your righteousness says about you. If you really want that reward to know that your righteousness speaks really well of you, well, you can have that reward, but it's empty, right? It's antithetical to the true reward of relationship with God. So doing righteousness in secret <clears throat> means doing righteousness uh, really in the place where only God sees, in the place where God sees, for his sake alone, for his eyes, uh, for his judgment alone, because of your relationship with him. In secret is not so much a spatial location as it is a relational location. It's where God invites you to meet with him. This secret place, this meeting place, <clears throat> is to be the new heart, the new core, the new engine of your life. This place where you meet with God. So, do righteousness from a heart of communion with God, where the true reward, the true glory that gives your life substance is, uh, is sharing his life, and it's reflecting his life, reflecting his being in your life. So, applying this to prayer, then, is what Jesus does. Now, <clears throat> Jesus says, uh, again, in verse 5, you must not be like the hypocrites, right? The, um, those actors whose lives have become an empty shell, just an empty mask put on for the sake of critical reviews. They love to pray, he says. They love to pray to get attention, to get noticed. <clears throat> but you, when you pray, he says, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So he's not forbidding all public prayers. In fact, uh, he's about to teach his disciples a corporate prayer. We're to pray to our Father uh, together. It would be kind of hard to do that if we were only ever to pray alone, like in your closet. Um, praying alone is good. And so is praying together. It's just that uh, if you always pray in front of others and you never pray alone, well, what, do you, what do you think prayer is? What do you think it's for? Why are you praying, if that's the case for you? you know, is it for the attention of others that you only ever pray in public with other people? <clears throat> or, uh, or do you pray wherever you are because you have a relationship with God? So look, even when we pray alone, even when we're in our room, in an actual private place, praying alone, we're not actually alone. Prayer is always a relational matter, and the heart of it is in our relationship with God. You can't uh, pray the way Jesus talks about here without having a relationship with God through faith in his Son. You can pray in ways that will get you noticed as an eloquent orator, 
And people might even think that you must be a very spiritual person, maybe closer to God than the rest of us because of how well you pray. But Jesus says that true prayer means relating to God. And that is something he invites all his people to do, regardless of your rhetorical skill, regardless of your public presence. A young child can pray. A bedridden person can pray. It won't necessarily impress anybody. But it will be real if it gives expression to real relationship with God in Christ. So Jesus talks about this relational reality of prayer uh, throughout this passage, really. But but maybe especially, um, as he says in verse 7, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Um, So first he talked about how the very religious people praying to be noticed by others. Now he talks about how the the Gentiles, it's like the pagans, the the pseudo-religious people who are praying, maybe not religious in the same way we are, but uh, they don't really know God at all. When they pray, how they pray, when they pray. They treat whichever God it is that they're praying to uh, like basically a heavenly vending machine, uh, thinking that if they can just insert the proper coinage and press the right formula of buttons, you know, then, then that God will drop out the things that they asked for. And so they use prayer tricks and techniques and technologies. Uh, the trick is to pray <clears throat> at certain times, or the trick is to pray in certain places with sh- certain little temples or figurines to use prayer journals or prayer beads or prayer flags or whatever it is, right? <clears throat> and if we can just find the right combination of words, uh, something like a magical in- incantation, then maybe we can unlock the divine, and maybe the God will hear and answer and give us what we want. I give God what he wants, or what I think he wants so that he gives me what I want. That's not relational prayer. That's transactional prayer. That has nothing to do with a real relationship with the one true God. People who pray in those ways are more interested in just getting the stuff they want than they are in their relationship with God. So Jesus says, don't pray that way. Pray in the real relational knowledge of God. Pray knowing God as your Father. That's what he says. He says it in a very interesting way here in verse 8. The next thing he says is, do not be like them, because your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So sometimes uh, we can wonder, well, then why would I even pray at all? I mean, that's probably the first thought in most of our minds. If God knows what we're going to ask before we even do it, what's the point of this, right? If God knows what I need before I ask him, why ask him? Why pray? When we wonder that, it betrays a transactional view of prayer rather than a relational one. So R.T. France says uh, this. This is a quote that's in the bulletin. Got a little typo there at the end for you. But uh, sorry, these flowers really getting getting the allergies going. If God, this is what France says. If God does not need to be informed of our needs, why does he expect us to tell him about them? Christian spirituality has traditionally found the answer in a concept of prayer not as the communication of information, still less as a technique for getting things from God, but as the expression of the relationship of trust which follows from knowing God as Father. So the reward of Christian prayer is in the gracious privilege of praying to God as our Heavenly Father. Praying to the Father who knows us and knows our needs better than we do ourselves, 
This is where the reward is in Christian prayer. Praying to the Father who's already paying the closest attention to us. The Father who doesn't need to be impressed by us before he loves us. The Father who cares for us and opens his life to us. For Jesus, prayer is not so much the means of getting a gift. The prayer is the gift. Prayer is the gift for Jesus. Apart from the gracious gift of God, we wouldn't know how to pray. We wouldn't be welcome to pray apart from Christ. Just as the hypocrites and pagans are not welcome to pray in the ways that come naturally to them, Jesus says, don't pray those ways. Secret prayer, relational prayer, is the gift of reconciliation to God given through Jesus. So here's the fantastic thing about Christian prayer. It describes the life of God, actually. We pray because God prays. God is triune. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwelling in eternal communion and communication, mutually knowing and being known and sharing life and sharing glory. And when the Son came into the world, he continued to share the life of the Father as a human being. He became one of us. He prayed as one of us. Jesus is God praying as a man. And Jesus is a man praying as God does. Jesus prayed, uh, whether it was you know, him withdrawing, getting his distance from the crowds, going off into the wilderness to pray, <clears throat> or whether he did it in front of other people. He prayed as one of us. He prayed for us. He prayed on our behalf. In his own prayers, Jesus is carrying our humanity into the Holy of Holies, into the secret place into God's very presence. He rejoiced in prayer. These are things we find in the Gospels. He rejoiced in prayer. He sang in prayer. He wept in prayer. He agonized and struggled in prayer. He cried out in prayer on the cross. He submitted to the Father, and he praised the Father in prayer. So he carried our whole life in this world. From birth to death to resurrection... He carried our whole life in this world right up into the life of God in his prayers. Prayer for Jesus is about relating to the Father. It's about living before the face of the Father, living with the Father, sharing the life of the Father. And he did this really as one of us, really even as if he had been a sinner, he did this. In solidarity with us, he prayed for our forgiveness. He confessed our sins on our behalf, even though he himself had no sins to confess He confessed our sins on our behalf. We confess that this is how our very salvation works. The righteous one gave himself for the unrighteous. He took our unrighteousness upon him, and he purified us. He took our unrighteous prayers upon himself. Prayers of the unrighteous, prayers of sin, you know, confession of sin. He took those prayers upon himself. The innocent one took the prayers of the guilty on his own lips so that... Sinners could join him in his own prayers. And that's the gift of prayer that Jesus gives us. This is how he teaches us to pray. So then we have the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the... That prayer is pretty familiar to us. Uh, The most amazing thing about this prayer is how it begins. Our Father. So, uh, to give you your regular dose of uh, Lord of the Rings illustrations, 
there's a scene in The Fellowship of the Ring. That's the first movie for you kids out there. Uh, There's a scene with Aragorn and Boromir as Boromir is dying. Uh, Aragorn is the true faithful king of Gondor, the White City, right? He's coming into the world to save this world from the Dark One, uh, from the Dark One's rule. And uh, Boromir is another member of the Fellowship of the Ring. He's a mighty warrior of Gondor, right? Um, But he has this fatal flaw. He has the tragic human weakness, this desire for power. He thinks if he gets the Ring of Power, it'll help him actually to defeat the evil one. Uh, He becomes possessed by this desire. He tries to take the Ring of Power. The Ring Bearer, Frodo, gets away. Boromir knows that he's betrayed Frodo, Right? He, he knows he's betrayed his friend, he's betrayed the fellowship, he's betrayed all that is good. And as Boromir is dying, the good king, Aragorn, takes his hand, and Boromir repents and asks his forgiveness, and Aragorn makes this promise. He says, I swear to you, I will not let the white city fall, nor our people fail. And Boromir says, our people, our people. And Aragorn's nodding, yeah, our people, right? Even in death, Boromir's eyes brighten when the good king says to the betrayer, our people, yours and mine. That's what Jesus says to us when he invites us to pray, our father, yours and mine. Sinners who do not deserve to enjoy a relationship with God, can look to Jesus with our eyes lifted up and say, Our Father? Our Father? Yours and mine, Jesus? And Jesus nods, yes, our Father. That's what he said to Mary after his resurrection in John 20. He says uh, to Mary, go to my brothers, go to the other disciples. He calls them brothers. Go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father. To my God and to your God. The beloved Son of God made himself our brother, which makes his Father our Father. The beloved Son prays, and he welcomes us into his own life of prayer. The gift of this prayer is the gift of relationship through faith in the Son. The Lord's Prayer is not about just using the right words to get what you want from God, as if these were the magical incantation words that you could recite and get what you want from God. The Lord's Prayer is the gift. The Lord's Prayer is the gift. Communing with God in prayer is the reward. So let's open <clears throat> this gift just a little bit, uh, at least sort of unwrap it a tiny bit. We've, we've had a full sermon series on um, you know, each, each phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we can't do that now. <clears throat> but uh, you know, our Father in heaven, right? Because of Jesus, because of his absolute commitment to us, because of his grace, we can trust that the Father welcomes us even as he welcomes Jesus himself. At Jesus' baptism, uh, the Father said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And these words apply to us through our relationship with Jesus, our spiritual union with him. So God rejoices over Jesus. He rejoices over you as a good father rejoices over his children. This This is how we may come to him. Through faith in Jesus, knowing this father. When when your child runs up to you and sort of blabs something out, she wants something, uh, articulates it poorly, right? Blabs it out. Uh, You don't turn her away because she didn't properly articulate her request. Um, You're delighted to listen to your little child because your heart is already set upon her. 
And joining Jesus in this prayer, you can know that the Father's heart is set upon you. His love is poured out upon you through the Spirit who he's given to you, a deeper, more perfect love than any earthly father's, his eternal love. So praying this way means uh, we don't pray alone, even if we are alone in our room, in a quiet place, right? Uh, We pray with the Lord Jesus himself. We pray this prayer best uh, actually together as his people gathered in in his name. Hallowed be your name. A name is for knowing. You introduce yourself by giving your name. Somebody gets to know you when you give them your name. God has given his name to us. He's introduced himself to us in all the scriptures, especially in the gospel, to bless us and to bless the whole world with the knowledge of him for a relationship with him. His name is, he's got lots of names in the Bible, but particularly in the gospels, these are important. Uh, Emmanuel, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. That never changes. His name is Jesus. Yahweh saves. The name of the triune God of love into which we are baptized as his family, as his children, is the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So to pray that his name would be hallowed, it would be revered as holy, means asking that the gospel would be clearly proclaimed and that people would hear it and they would believe it and they would truly know God by it. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is where the wrestling happens. This is where the wrestling happens. Jesus himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane all night long, sweating blood for the agony of his prayers. Take this cup away from me. I don't want to go to the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So if it is so difficult for God incarnate to pray this prayer, we can believe it will be difficult for sinners to pray this prayer with him. We believe that his kingdom is good, his rule is good, but it comes into conflict with the instincts of people like us, sinners. We believe that his will is good, but it's also difficult for us to accept. Joining Jesus in this prayer means that we come to God with wills that are out of alignment with his, with expectations for what his kingdom should be like that need to be revised, that we just need to give up. Because of Jesus, we can be glad for the Heavenly Father's kingdom and will. We can know his ways are good, even when we don't understand them, even if we never understand them in this life, even if we don't like what has been revealed about his will and his ways to us. We can, rust, uh, we can rest in our trust in Christ. We can come to a place of submission to his kingdom and his will, even when it's like sweating blood for us, but only as we join Jesus in this prayer, only as we really wrestle with God in our relationship with him. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. So this is the most mundane petition, and it teaches us that uh, there is no aspect of our earthly lives that is sort of just too basic or boring, that it would bother God to ask him about it. Even the bare necessities of life are opportunities for us to join with Jesus in relating to God in prayer. It is not pure selfishness to pray for our needs. It is his idea to pray for our needs, his invitation, because he wants us to live. He likes life. He wants us to live, and he wants us to live all of life with him and from him 
and through him and to him. We pray less for luxury comforts, more for basic necessities, things, you know, food, water, clothing, shelter, uh, security, stability, physical health, emotional health, things like this that make for a good human life. All our prayer always is in response to God. It's always uh, in response to, for being who he is, for giving us the gift of life, for sustaining us on a daily basis, for inviting us to pray. Ultimately, we pray in our absolute dependence on Christ, upon the bread from heaven that we need for eternal life with God. We need God's constant, generous provision. We need that every day, and his mercies are new every day. Verse 12, and then also 14 and 15. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is clearly an important part of the prayer that Jesus is teaching us since he comes back to it here as he wraps up the prayer. He's taught us, pray then like this, and then gives this explanatory section to, uh, to this idea of forgiveness. And um, there's a quote also in the bulletin by Stanley Hauerwas that I think is uh, really worth reading. It's a bit long, but I think it's great. Uh, Do we really want to pray that our debts will be forgiven as we have forgiven our debtors? In truth, we find it easier to forgive than to be forgiven. We do so because so much of life is spent trying to avoid acknowledging we owe anyone anything. Yet to be a follower of Jesus, to learn to pray this prayer, means that we must first learn that we are the forgiven. To learn to be forgiven is no easy lesson, desiring as we do to be our own master, if not creator. But to be a disciple of Jesus demands that we recognize that our life is a gift that requires, if we're to live in a manner appropriate to our being a creature, our willingness to accept forgiveness with joy. The willingness to be forgiven, which may require that I have my enemy tell me who I am, is the only way that reconciliation can begin. So we place ourselves in a very very vulnerable position when we place ourselves at God's mercy, when we confess our sins, when we ask for his forgiveness. Too vulnerable for a lot of people. This prayer means we want reconciliation to God, even though it means we expose ourselves to his judgment. And we trust that we can do that because he tells us that his judgment has already fallen on Christ in our place. In fact, it's the merciful Lord Jesus who leads us in this prayer. He accommodates himself to us in this prayer. Even though he had no sins of his own to confess, he confessed and repented on our behalf. And he teaches us to ask forgiveness by saying, let's pray to our Father, repeat after me, forgive us our sins. So Romans 4 says Jesus was crucified for our debts and that he was raised for our justification. As we join him in prayer for forgiveness, we're led to the gospel conclusion that truly our sins are forgiven, that we're declared righteous in God's sight. We're a people of forgiveness We believe forgiveness is good. We're only here because God forgives sinners. And we believe that it's a privilege, actually, to be able to forgive other sinners. uh, Just like he has forgiven us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We know that the biggest threat to our spiritual life isn't uh, out there somewhere. It's not 
the evil that other people can do to us. It's the evil that we might perpetrate. It's the evil that we might participate in as we fall to temptation. Apart from the Spirit of God uh, at work in us, we confess, and we do this regularly, we confess the Heidelberg Catechism, we confess that our hearts, even as Christians, our hearts are still inclined toward all evil. This petition requires just a bit of self-awareness about our selfishness and our our sinfulness, our uh, susceptibility to temptation. But it doesn't just ask for more self-awareness, as if that'll fix the problem. Uh, It asks for God-awareness. It asks for an interest to follow where God would lead us to the righteousness of those who are renewed in the image of his Son. So whatever circumstances we face in life, we're asking with this prayer, we're praying to experience these circumstances not as temptations toward unbelief and sin that would draw us away from communion with God, but to encounter everything in life as opportunities for communion, opportunities for trusting God and knowing him and following him. The real gift and privilege and reward of of joining Jesus in this prayer is it's in the relationship. It's in the communion with God that is opened up to us in every part of our lives in this world every part of our lives. The gift of God's grace in Jesus is living with God rather than apart from him. Living with Christ's Father as our Father, praying the very prayer of the Lord himself. Yes, uh, when we come to God in prayer, we're going to bungle things. Unrighteous prayers will be prayed. That's pretty much inevitable when you've got unrighteous people praying. Uh, But that doesn't change the good news that Jesus has opened up his life of prayer to us. So let's join him in prayer. Let's actually pray the Lord's Prayer together as it's printed, um, as we usually say it in the prayers of the people. Okay? Not just following the, the text of the scripture here, but as we say it in the prayers of the people. Let's pray that together now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.